0: welcome in to a friday morning edition of the locked on knicks podcast we are talking the knicks youth development which of the knicks young studs is going to make the biggest jump next season and then some potential trades how the knicks could acquire bradley beal all that and more next on locked on knicks you are locked on knicks your daily new york knicks podcast part of the locked on podcast network your team every day Fox, foul from behind, count it, and one! As Fisdale clips his fist. He up, his fist. What he does is contagious. Robinson with a catch and slam! Across the lane to Trier. Trier drives down! Oh, we oh, go! Itugu- oh! oh! Becomes infectious. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. I want to start off by reminding you Postmates is your personal food delivery, grocery delivery, whatever kind of delivery service you need all year round. For a limited time, Postmates is giving locked on listeners $100 in free agency credit for your first seven days. All you have to do is download the Postmates app and put in promo code LOCKED ON. That's promo code LOCKED ON. All right, guys, it's a mailbag episode. Uh, I'm going solo. Uh, we got a ton of questions, so we're going to split it up into two podcasts. I kind of separated the questions into about five different themes. We got a lot of questions on the development of the Knicks young guys, how they're going to improve next year, some specific stuff about Frank, what's the best way for them to get better, um, which of the young guys is going to make the biggest leap this season, and uh, then we got some specific stuff on trades. So we're getting get into that. Um, we save conversations on R.J. Barrett and um, a little bit more on the rotation and some miscellaneous stuff uh, for when Alex comes back uh, next time around. Uh, for now, though, part one. We start off with a question from Ari at Obi Wan Kenari on Twitter. Ari asks, "What do you feel is a better way to develop a player?" A, giving them tons of minutes and hoping they learn from their mistakes like last year with Knox, or B, limiting their minutes and letting them learn from watching their vets like they seem to be planning on doing this year? Um, I think it's a great question from Ari. This is something that I've sort of been contemplating myself, and I don't think there's really a one-size-fits-all method necessarily because you look at some of the best rookies in the league last year, guys like Luka Doncic um, to a lesser degree, DeAndre Ayton, uh, Jaron Jackson Jr., Uh, Trey Young, Marvin Bagley, Um, but Doncic is really the focus of it because he was a guy who came in to the NBA, and from day one, he, he was ready to go. He was one of the top 40 or so players in the league, immediately able to function as a primary ball handler, be efficient, play with confidence, understand NBA pacing, understand at a really advanced level how to manipulate an NBA defense, and that's just frankly not true for the vast majority of guys who come into the league. Like Luca's an exception among exceptions. But then you even go a tier down. You got guys like Aiton, you get guys like Jaron Jackson, and they're they're just ready to be they're not ready to be stars from day one, but their baseline of talent is so good that even if they have major deficiencies in their game, they're ready to play as a starter at I'm trying to think of the best way to phrase it. I guess just an average NBA level. They're ready to be average NBA players from day one. And again, that's not something you can say about most rookies. That is, in fact, extremely rare. And just being, just being decent as a rookie is usually indicative of someone who's going to be either an all-star or a very, very good starter for a lot of years. Um, and then you, you look at another like, I would say the flip side of this, and like an argument totally the contrary, and a guy who it worked out really, really well for um, Anthony Simons, um, who who never played college basketball, so was sort of a a year behind. I think he went to prep school for a year. And, and um, if you if you saw it on the Ringer, they just put out a really strong article on him and just all the benefits to him sitting and watching. For a year, he wasn't really even in the G League. Like he, I think he played like a total of like maybe like 200 minutes last season um, between the G League and the NBA. But he was constantly like probing, like Damian Lillard, C.J. McCollum, saying like, "What did you see there? Why did you make that move? Um, what what was that specific pick and roll coverage? Uh, why did you switch on defense that time? Why didn't you switch this time?" And and I think there is like a tangible benefit to just giving a rookie a year and saying, like, especially a guy like Simons or a guy like, I think this would have been good for Kevin Knox, um, and just saying, like, you know what, all we want you to do is get stronger, watch a lot of film, and and learn under these vets for one whole season. Then maybe at the end of the year we'll throw you in for a couple of games in some favorable situations and and let you build up some confidence. Um, And and I think even on the Knicks you see sort of the varying scope of this argument. Uh, Someone like Mitchell Robinson, uh, he... I think what the Knicks did with him was perfect, like, giving him limited minutes at the start of the season. Like, we were all, like, begging for more because, like, the stats painted out. Like, even when he was totally raw, he was probably um, a better player than Ennis Cantor. And yet, like, the Knicks were patient. They took their time. They traded Cantor midseason. And then, like, about halfway through, like, Robinson, who just had gotten to dip his toe in in the waters for about 40, 50 games, they said, all right, go ahead. You're, You're free to run. And he came out and he kicked ass, and he was really, really good. Um, Knox, I think, was handed like a little bit too much from day one, and I think it resulted in a lot of his or a lot of aspects of his game sort of being stunted in terms of their growth. He was never really able to grow um, as a. Def- I don't know. I mean, I don't want to say that, but like he improved as a defender, like he improved as a ball mover. But I just think he developed like some really bad habits as a score first guy and someone who was inefficient and wasn't really multifaceted and was just sort of, I, I guess like a little bit fixated on developing these small or develop. I'm trying, I, I don't know. I don't want to be too harsh on him. These like, it wasn't really like his fault, but like he, he just, he fell into these patterns where he was taking these like bad mid range shots. He had like this whole stretch, like where he would only shoot fadeaways. And I think, like we, when when someone's, it, it, it's sort of like, and I'm, I'm the least qualified person in the world to be talking about this, but it's it's sort of the guy who who goes to the gym and like immediately starts trying to bench press 200 pounds, and, and you you develop bad form because you're compensating in all these different ways for your for your deficiencies, and I I think in my mind that sort of is sort of what defined Knox's rookie season last year. He, he had these bad habits, and he had to, or he had these weaknesses. And he had to compensate for them in different ways. And I hopefully, I mean, this summer, and I'm gonna get into this like a little bit next segment. But hopefully, this summer, like, undid some of the bad habits, some of the bad trends that he developed. But I think it's dangerous playing a guy who's not ready to play big minutes early. So I guess to answer your question succinctly, Ari, um, it should be decided on a case by case basis. I think if a guy's just extraordinarily talented or comes coming from, like, a really high-level college program, someone who played, like, four years there, like a Malcolm Brogdon. Um, I, I, think, I think there are clear situations where it makes sense to play a guy right away and a guy can contribute right away. Or even, even someone like Mikhail Bridges, who played, like, a really small and very specific role on a bad team. Like, I think that's fine, and I think that's a good way to get a guy better. And it probably accelerates their timeline a little bit. For someone like Knox, who was super-duper raw, one of the, if not the youngest players in the NBA last season, I, I think it would have made more sense to have him stay on the bench, watch and learn for a little bit, get bigger, and then sort of follow more so Mitchell Robinson's trajectory and, and have a bigger role as the season goes on. All right. Um, we got two questions on Frank Nilakina. The first comes from uh, uh, Omar. I'm just going to Omar, let me know if I pronounced your name wrong because I think you always ask questions and you always ask good ones, so I want to get it right. It's O-O-U-M-A-R, Omar maybe, I'm not sure, Omar, go with that, Um, at Poor King on Twitter. um, He asks, any news on hashtag Frank, I I love that Frank's a hashtag, was just watching Donovan Mitchell train and honestly, Knicks management should not allow Frank to keep going overseas to train guys. There's many really good trainers here who can help him develop his offensive game, can even train with current players or something. Because he went overseas last year and nothing. We shouldn't give up on him. He's about to turn 21, and the upside is unreal. What do you guys think? Hope I'm not too late. Looking forward to the pod. We appreciate that. Uh, Omar. Omar? Omar. All right. Uh, Brian Gill at Oaktown BG uh, asks, Will Frank win most improved player this coming season or the next? I might have been a little tongue-in-cheek, but uh, I appreciate the question. Anyways, Brian, I really hope it's genuine because um, – a lot of us do have that level of love for Frank. Uh, here's, here's my take on Frank. I mean, honestly, like, the videos I've seen from him in this offseason, like, I, I don't know. I mean, you can't, you can't tell anything from those. Like, you would think, like, Melo's, like, still ready to be, like, an all-NBA guy based on those videos. But I, I've been impressed. He looks, like, a little bit quicker um, on his dribble, um, working on putting multiple moves together into a jumper. And now it's, like, it's one thing doing that in a gym in France. It's another thing doing that in MSG against an NBA defense. But I, 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 honestly like. It seems like he's from, from someone who has no idea what he's talking about in the manner. It seems like he's getting trained just fine. Like I, I, my issue isn't him going to Europe. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind if he was like getting in on like some of those like UCLA runs and like consistently playing with NBA level talent. But I, I'm sure what he's doing is just fine. Like honestly, like I don't, I don't totally like. I think how hard you work makes a big difference. I, I don't. Totally, and maybe I'm, I'm completely off base here, and someone can correct me on it. I don't totally buy into the idea that like one trainer is gonna make you just dramatically better than another one would. And I'm sure the guys he's he's worked with and the guys he's found are are at a really high level. Um, and I guess my question with Frank is like it's it just like I, I think it's like less about him. Like obviously he needs to get better, and like clearly like even last season he wasn't ready to be a high level NBA rotation guy yet, but. My question with Frank is it's more about what role he gets because we – like for all we know, like he was he was good enough to be like a solid NBA role guy last year and he just – he never really got a chance to. And now that they've signed Peyton, like I, I honestly don't think he's ever going to get a chance to be that guy on the Knicks, which, which kind of sucks. The argument you can make is – I mean if he's good, he, he should just go into – um, he should just go into preseason camp and, and kick everyone's ass in practice. And, and defensively, I, I think he's capable of doing that. But on offense, that's just like, I mean, he's, he's going to get better, and I think he will get better. But, like, he's never going to, like, he's never going to flash in that setting. And I, I don't think he's ever going to flash in a game. Like, that's just not really who he is. Like, if you're looking for him to come out and just be the alpha dog amongst the point guard group, I don't think that's necessarily ever going to happen. And, and what we've seen consistently – from the Knicks front office and coaching staff this summer is what they value in a player is scoring instincts. And I don't I and I don't think there's there's even like like another roster that's necessarily comparable to the Knicks and I should probably go through this again, but that's disproportionately built around iso scoring. Like look at everyone they signed this offseason. Like Julius Randle. He he can pass a little bit, but by and large a score first guy. Bobby Portis, score first guy. R.J. Barrett, heavy, heavy, heavy score-first guy. The two, two of the three main guys they got in last year's draft, Alonzo Trier. Like, if there was ever a shoot-first player in the NBA, it's him. Kevin Knox, developing more aspects of his game, but what he does good right now is score the basketball and shoot a lot. Dennis Smith Jr., the crown jewel of the Chris Porzingis trade. He's one of the more heavy score-first point guards in the NBA it's, the the Knicks have, again, like, it's just, it's so abundantly clear what they prioritize, and I think to their detriment, they've acquired so many of these guys, and Frank is sort of the antithesis of that. He plays defense, his strengths offensively are probably going to end up being running an offense, and I think eventually off-ball shooting, like a guy you can kick it out to, and he can hit open three. I don't think he's, like, ever going to be that dude who's who initiates offense by breaking down a point guard, an opposing point guard off the dribble. I I just, I I don't see him ever averaging 20 points per game, but I don't necessarily think that means that he's not the best point guard on the Knicks roster in terms of like long-term viability. Like I I honestly, like I, I still genuinely believe as atrocious as he's been offensively, his first two years, and he's been really, really bad. You put like his statistical profile against other point guards, and he doesn't really project as someone who's going to be in the NBA a long time. But I, I think he's going to end up having a 12-year career because I, I think he's, if he's not already there, he's good. He's one of the, he's going to end up being one of the best point guard defenders in the league, and I think his offensive game is going to come around to a point that he's not totally unplayable at the end. Like I really do see him as like a Sean Livingston-esque cog on some really good teams down the road, and I think unfortunately it, it's not going to be the Knicks. All right, uh, with that, we will take a quick break, come back, and tell you um, who's going to make the biggest jump of the Knicks Young Core at next on Locked On Knicks. All right, welcome back into Locked On Knicks. Our next question comes from the Knicks at Ives. i getting into the theme. For this segment, we're talking about the Knicks Young Core. So Ives asks, who do you think is going to make the biggest leap in talent from the young core? Uh, I broke this down kind of player by player. So I'm just going to go through everyone, and then uh, I'll, 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 I'll spoil it a little bit. I'll give you my answer at the end. And this question is like there, there's another question from uh, Evan um, at KnicksFan821 I'm specifically about DSJ, and I'll kind of answer that within the scope of this one. So this question is basically going to be the entire segment. Um, how how can you not start off with Mitchell Robinson? I mean, clearly, I think the the crown jewel of the Knicks young core. Uh, I would take him not only ahead of everyone individually. Like I think I I would rather keep him than like any two guys the Knicks have. Like that's how high I am on Mitchell Robinson. Uh, and I guess my my question with Mitch is like, how much better can he get? And I don't necessarily mean like, over the long term, because I think me and Alex have made it very clear we think he's eventually going to be an all-star, or at the very least, because defensively-minded bigs aren't usually rewarded with all-star bursts, um, an all-NBA type performer, a Rudy Gobert-level defender, and I think he can be at least as good as Gobert offensively as well. Um, if we see that next season, I'm not particularly sure, because I think the two biggest factors that really could have made Mitch better, and, like, obviously, he's working on his game, and he's working on expanding his game, but the things that could have made him, like, immediately better were the Knicks signing a whole lot of shooting, particularly at the forward spot, which I think they largely failed. You can you can debate Bobby Portis, like, obviously, had good numbers from three-point range last year. I don't really buy into him as a genuine floor stretcher and, like, someone who has to be, like, hounded and constantly guarded out there, um, so I, th- I think the two biggest things you could do for Mitch was adding at- perimeter shooting, which I think the Knicks... Largely failed to do, um, especially if Alfred Payton is starting. And, and then I think the second thing they could have done was acquire a really high-level point guard. And we've seen what James Harden and Chris Paul did for Clint Capella's career. Like, not, not that Capella is not a talent, but I wouldn't—and and this will sound ridiculous to non-Knicks fans listening, but I think Knicks fans who have watched both for a long time—like, I, I, I legitimately, like, I don't believe Capella's, like, in the same level of talent— that Mitches, but you, you throw him with a Chris Paul, you, you throw him with a James Harden, all of a sudden he's putting up twenty two and twelve, and uh, on, on good nights, and he's in line for a ninety million dollar contract. Like I think, if you put Mitch in that same situation, like you you just you just throw throw Mitch on the Houston Rockets next year. Like I've said this before, I think he's putting up eighteen points per game, shooting better than seventy percent from the field, and I mean the blocks are probably the same, but he I think he would be just a ridiculous offensive weapon with great point guard play. And unfortunately, I mean, the Knicks, uh, whether it was for lack of trying or because they just couldn't get a guy like that to come there, they they weren't able to put together that type of talent at the point guard position. Now, Alfred Payton is a really good passer. and In that sense, he'll, he'll be good for Mitch, I think, particularly in transition. Uh, I think when they have the right lineups around them, like you know, on the rare cases, like they put in, like a lineup of Payton, Mitch, um, let's say... Bullock, Knox, and Trier, maybe? Like, just as much shooting as you possibly can put out there around Mitch. Um, I I think there'll be a really good and and sometimes even deadly pick and roll combination, but it's that combination of perimeter shooting and high level point guard play that I, I think will eventually, if the Knicks are smart and they put together that kind of team, make Mitch totally unstoppable. Right now, uh, they they have one of the least conducive environments for his success of any team in the NBA. Like, if you were to just randomly put Mitch on a team, odds are he'd be in a much better situation than he's going to be on the Knicks next year. So I, I don't really see him improving on his post-All-Star game stats, which were about 13 points, 13 rebounds, and 4 blocks per 36 minutes. That seems right about in line um in terms of what I'd expect from him statistically next year. Now I do think um, he'll sort of iron out um, some of the kinks in his game. You'll see him occasionally score off a dribble when last year basically everything came off lobs. I I think defensively he's going to take another step forward, um, continue to get smarter, continue to get more aware, continue to be more foul-averse. Uh, I just don't really see a scenario where he makes a big leap, and that I think says more about what the Knicks did to surround him with ideal talent than it does about Mitchell Robinson. Uh, Alonzo Trier, I, I think he- he's going to be a better player, but I'm not sure if that ends up reflecting in his statistics. Like he-, he-, he was just so disproportionately efficient to what I thought he was going to be last year. He shot 45% from the field. 39% from three, 80% from the foul line. And I think he does have a chance to be a more well-rounded player this year. We saw him make some really smart passes um, in summer league. Uh, friend of the show, Spencer Perlman, I think pointed out, like he had, the, he had that one um, like quick kick to Kadeem Allen when he saw the defense breaking down that set up a lob to Mitch that you, you could argue was better than any of his reads he had last year during the regular season. And I do think you're going to see more of that. I, I guess... I guess my argument with him is sort of similar to Mitch. Like, are, are, like, is he in as good of a position to succeed as he was last season? And I think, weirdly enough, it's sort of the opposite with Mitch, where I think surrounding Mitch with better talent would make him better. And I think that's true for Trier in the sense that, like, if he was, like, on the Warriors and, like, he had, um, like, he, he was never getting any attention paid to him, I think he'd be a lot more likely to replicate the efficiency numbers he had from a year ago. Um, I guess my, my concern with Trier is, is that the Knicks have more shooting, they have more, uh, not more shooting, the Knicks have more scoring, and it's going to limit the amount of time where Trier is, is the alpha dog on offense, where he's clearly the guy, and he's just allowed to pound the ball, go one on one, and attack. And you could make an argument what Trier did last year, again, sort of the antithesis of Mitch, wasn't really conducive to team success, but it was really, really conducive to Alonzo Trier's success, and I think this year he's going to be on a better team, and I'm not sure if that translates into him putting up better numbers because I think he's going to be put into more uncomfortable positions. He's going to have to do more off the ball. Um, all that being said, I, I, I've, I've made it clear on this podcast I'm, I'm a big believer in Trier's talent, and I think he's going to continue to be relatively efficient. I think he's going to have some really good games, some really good moments. I, I just don't necessarily see like an obvious jump in terms of his numbers or his ability because I don't think he's going to get the reps he did last season. Uh, Frank, um, I don't really need to spend more time on. Uh, We went over it. I just, I don't think he's going to get a fair shot. Um, If there are like multiple injuries in front of him or like one injury in front of him or TSJ or Peyton really shits the bed. uh, Maybe there is a chance that he ends up being a lot better and he makes a jump. Um, There's certainly a lot of room for improvement there. So I'm holding out hope with Frank, but I don't necessarily believe that it's going to happen this year. Uh, Dennis Smith Jr. Again, the the question we got from Evan um, at KnicksFan821 was: Do you think DSJ is doing typical gassing himself up talk, or do you think he can actually pop off next year as a potential All Star? It's it's a good question, and <laughs> I think it's it's like it's honestly given the fact that he was sort of the key piece of the Porzingis trade. Um, I think like one of like the bigger questions the Knicks have going into next season and Not that Alex and I have really spent a ton of time on player reviews yet, but he is someone we've spent some of the most time, or I think we should spend some of the most time, talking about this offseason. And I guess like the name to know with Dennis Smith Jr., if you're a Dennis Smith Jr. optimist, is Kemba Walker. Um, you, You can throw their stats from their first two years in the league, and they're relatively comparable. DSJ... Uh, put up over his first two years and this was was some quick math on my part 15 points uh five assists three rebounds a night on 41 percent from the field 32 percent from three 67 percent from the foul line Kemba Walker 16 point in his first two seasons just to be clear 16 points per game five assists four rebounds on 40 percent from the field 32% 32% from three, and 79% from the free throw line. So I think the big difference there is, is the free throw shooting, which, I mean, you've probably heard this a million times, the draft season is, is generally, I mean, seen at the college level, and I think sometimes, like, in a guy's early NBA years, as the most indicative statistic in terms of their long-term potential as a three-point shooter. And the fact that Kemba was hovering right under 80% his first two years, and DSJ was closer to 65, It is a pretty significant difference. And I think indicative of the fact that Kemba, um, he obviously he had to work his ass off and he had to really, really improve, but he always had the touch to be a special three-point shooter in the NBA. And I mean, you look at Kemba now, like he only shot 35.5% from three last year, but the fact is he's doing it on a really high degree of difficulty. And that, at least in my mind, is is more suggestive of someone who, who's a special three-point shooter than, like, a Rajon Rondo, who maybe hits... Or Bobby Portis, who hit, like, 39% of wide, wide-open shots. I think Kemba, if he was getting those types of looks, he'd be closer to 40%, and he's had seasons around 40%. Dennis Smith Jr., like, I... We, we've heard all the talk this offseason of, of him becoming a better shooter, and, like, you've seen video of it in his release, like, certainly does look better. He's been working with Keith Smart. He's been working with Brandon Payne, who's Steph Curry's trainer, um... I just, I need to see it to believe it, I guess. I just, I don't think, I don't think the shot's like totally broken. I think there is a world where he becomes a 36, 37% three-point shooter. But the fact is, like, he's he's been a bad three-point shooter. And that's been on largely open looks. Um, This is a stat from NBA.com via Mike Vorkanov, who does great work for The Athletic. Um, He noted in his article on Smith that even when opponents have given him room to shoot, uh, and here's the here's a crucial note. Smith shot 179 of his 208 threes last year. Uh, um, they were either qualified as open or wide open by NBA.com. Um, still shot just 33% on those threes. So 33% on 179 attempts that were classified as either open or wide open for DSJ. And to me, that's, again, just suggestive of a guy that just... Like he's just not ever going to be a great shooter in the NBA. Like you, you can improve, you can get better, but there are margins, and your baseline matters in terms of what your ultimate upside is. And his baseline is just so low for his first two seasons. I just never think he's going to be a great three-point shooter. And I think if Smith is going to be like a star, like an all-star, I think he has to become a great shooter. And I just, I, I, I don't see it. Like Delo's the other name you can throw out, but again, Delo's a guy who I think. Consistently showed off a better touch than Smith has his first two seasons. Um, the other guy Smith has been working with, and this is exciting, and I think an aspect of his game that's more realistic for him to become special in, um, is Chris Paul, and he's been working on his handle. Uh, Chris, um, in, in that Mike Orkinov article, noted like he's known Smith um, since Smith was in high school. He's trying to get him to play for his AAU team, and he called Smith special. So that's certainly a good sign from one of the greatest point guards in the NBA, one of the greatest point guards in the history of the NBA. But I, I guess, long story short on Smith, um, I need to see it to believe in. The guy who I think will be the most improved member of the Knicks Young Corps is, is Kevin Knox. Um, a big part of it was how young he was last season, and I, I think just that he is the most room to improve of anyone on the Knicks roster. And that was a point uh, made by our guy, Pooh on uh, Twitter, who just started a new podcast, so you should... Uh, Check out him and Drew Steele on that. I think it's the posting and toasting show. But Knox just, he, he like, he, he was, and, and this, this sounds bad to say and, and somewhat sacrilegious, but I mean, statistically, he was like one of the five or so worst rotation guys in the NBA last year. And he, he just, there's a lot of different ways that he can get better. I mean, simply improving his efficiency, getting to the free throw line more, being more aware on defense, being a lot more cognizant as a passer. And I think in summer league, we started to see um, signs that he's getting better in a lot of those areas. Um, his jumper looked a lot more effortless. He had a higher arc on it. He was a lot more intent on getting to the rim. He had that one game where he shot three for 15. He was able to offset it by shooting 11 free throws and making eight of them. Um, he's clearly built up his body more. I, I think he's more physically ready to attack the basket and get to the line, um, he, he had a couple of really nice passes in summer league, um, where he broke down defenders, drew a second guy, and then um, on one was able to just dump it off to Mitchell Robinson for a little dunk. Um, he, he had another play against the Wizards that I think was my favorite play from him, like even even more so than like the dunks and the threes in all of summer league, where like he had a guy um, like pinned down in the post, uh, was able to like catch like a lop, on the interior, sees the second defender coming over before the double can get there. Beautiful cross-court look to Iggy Brasdakis for wide open three, which Iggy drained. And it was just the type of like high-level awareness play that you never ever would have seen from Knox last season. And and now, just to keep things in perspective, he still only shot 40% from the field. Throughout summer league, um, he, he wasn't totally dominant in, in the way that like Mitchell Robinson was, and I mentioned guys like Devin Booker. Been in past seasons where you just see a guy in his second year, and you're like, oh, he's he's too good to be here. Like he's still like in my mind, like he looked like one of the better players in summer league. He he also still looked like he belonged in summer league. That being said, I, I think he's going to be quite a bit better than he is than he was last season. He's going to get closer to being um, a solid role guy, um, just in terms of efficiency. And I think it's setting up, and this is another thing Shwini Poo noted, and I agree, um, a, a year three that's sort of make or break for Kevin Knox and whether or not he can be a star, whether or not he can be a long-term role player, or whether or not he's going to wash out of the league, which I, I think um, just based on the summer league, and I hope I'm right about this, I think is looking less and less realistic when there were stretches last year where it looked like, oh, my God, like this guy, he's just he's not going to get it done. All right, so that's my answer on um, who is going to end up being the biggest improver amongst the Knicks young core. We'll take a quick break, come back, and talk trades on the Locked On Knicks podcast. Welcome back into Locked On Knicks. Wanted to remind everyone to enjoy the entirety of the Locked On podcast network in case you missed it. Um, I was on Locked On NBA this week, uh, talking to David Locke. um, Admittedly, I was pretty negative on on the Knicks. I I was not not in a good uh, good headspace. I, I think I think David was a little down on the next two, and I, I was tending to agree with him a little bit, but uh, hey, RJ Barrett came back after that, um, had a really good... I think this was before his final summer league game, had a really good final summer league game, and uh, I think in this podcast I've outlined um, where there are and why there are reasons for optimism. Want wanted to clarify one comment I made in that. I think I said um, at one point, for those who listened, that... Um, RJ, like, would go, like, seven or eight spots lower in a redraft, and I, I just phrased it really poorly. What I was trying to say was if he was in last year's draft and was kind of making the point the Knicks picked the wrong year to tank, um, like, after Summer League, with everything we know, like, I think you could probably pin, like, eight or nine guys that would go ahead of him. The good news is one of them is on the New York Knicks in Mitchell Robinson. All right, um, so questions about trade. This one comes from Osiris809 at PS Bart 2 who always has really good questions. Um, he asks, which free agent signing is most likely to be dealt before the deadline if the Knicks are not in the playoff hunt? Um, I think the Knicks—that'll be interesting because I think—I have a feeling the Knicks will be hovering around, like, the 10 or 11 seed and be, like, loosely in the playoff hunt. Uh, I would hope if teams are offering quality picks or young assets for guys, um, they're cognizant enough to realize, like, that's probably more important than, like, finishing just out of the playoff race. And, I like, I wouldn't mind, like, a stealth late-season tank, like kind of what we saw— from the Mavericks last season, from the New York Knicks, and putting themselves in a scenario where they can, even though I know Dallas ended up like having their pick uh, convert to Atlanta, uh, or maybe the so maybe the Pelicans are a better example. Um, like where the Knicks are like hovering around like maybe like the like eighth worst record in the league. I might be being a little optimistic there, but somewhere like that. Um, Somehow, work their way down like late in the season after trading away a couple of these vets. It's like the sixth worst record in the league and end up with a number one pick and like a James Wiseman or a Cole Anthony type of player. Um, In terms of who's most likely to get traded, I I think it's it's one of um, Taj Gibson, uh, Reggie Bullock, or Wayne Ellington. Uh, Portis could be in that conversation if he has like a really good shooting season because I think. That would be a scenario where, like, a contender would look at him and be like, oh, he'd be really good for scoring off the bench, and we could, like, maybe play him with some of our starters as as sort of a floor stretcher. But Gibson, Bullock, and Ellington are all just guys in the mold that, like, have, like, I think really clear roles on contenders. um, All of them either, like, have team options for the second year, like, functionally, like, because of how, like, little, like, the commitment is to them. Um, Like, basically have team options the second year. I think that's Gibson's situation. And, again, they're just the types of guys that contenders go after. Like, Gibson is, like, the classic, like, the team that's missing, like, the one extra big. Like, the Warriors. Like, I don't think they have a Taj Gibson type on their roster. And, like, they see him and, like, they're like, you know what? Like, I think we're ready at Clay Thompson back in April. Um, the West is really good, but it's still relatively wide open where the fucking Warriors we're going to... Try and win a title again, but we don't. We just don't have like a backup center on the roster, or like someone, someone with experience, and someone who can really fit in with like Steph Curry, set good picks, roll to the basket. And instead of um, bringing back like a lethargic um, Andrew Bogut, maybe they say, you know what? Um, let Let's just let's just go give a um, a late first round pick for Taj Gibson, or let's go give up multiple second round picks for Taj Gibson. Like I could really see that scenario playing out. Uh, Reggie Bullock and Wayne Ellington, I think. Those two guys, like, their services will absolutely be in demand. Every single year, you see contenders scrambling to get a shooter around the trade deadline. And, and there's always that team that realizes, like, damn, we we, we didn't sign that one guy this offseason, and we have all these stars, but we need floor space. And like, the biggest example I can think of, because they needed that guy last year and didn't really get him, um, are the Philadelphia 76ers. And, again, they're a team with very little depth and, frankly, not enough shooting. And, and they could certainly use... Especially, like, if Bullock's fully healthy, like, he would just be an ideal piece for that team. Like, he, he's a picture-perfect fit, and someone who I could legitimately see, like, even, even as far down as the finals, playing 15, 20 minutes a game for them. Ellington's a little bit more limited just because he's, he's really, like, a liability defensively. But, again, the type of guy, like, with Philly, with all their size, you can compensate for him, and he, he could go out there and, and be sort of a poor man, JJ Redick because that's, that's kind of what he's been doing the last two years. So I think I'd, I'd lean Ellington, given giving a Bullock's health and uh, Gibson's age, um, as the number one guy I could see getting traded, though all three of those guys are pretty good candidates. And it wouldn't shock me if Portis got traded. Um, it wouldn't if, if Randall's, like, not really a clean fit, and I, I've made it clear, like, I don't, I think he'll be fine, but I I don't really expect him to be a perfectly clean fit. It wouldn't wouldn't shock me if Randall got traded. All right, uh, final question from Urim Lacage says, hey, Gavin, hope all's well. Two-part question for the mailbag. Which newly signed players do you think will be traded by February? Hopefully for picks to contenders in need for good rotation players in a title push. And would you call Sam Presti to see if SGA is available? So we already sort of answered um, that question, but I, I guess as far as like a final prediction goes, I'd bet on Ellington getting dealt and then one of one of the other two or three guys in terms of, yeah, I'll say three guys in terms of Gibson, Bullock, and Randall. I think I think two of those guys, two of the four, ultimately get traded. I think Ellington's one of them. Um, as far as SGA, Shea Gildress Alexander, uh, I think they should call about him. I think he'd immediately be... Maybe you can make an argument, the second best young piece on the Knicks? Like, I think that's that's a genuinely good question. I know, like, people are going to, people are going to torch me for this because everyone's in love with RJ. But, um, I, I do think, I, I think it'd be interesting to do a survey of GMs around the NBA and ask them who they'd rather have between Gilgis Alexander and Barrett. And I, I do think it would be pretty 50 50. Uh, that being said, the Knicks would, would never trade Barrett for Gilgis Alexander. I'm not sure if Presti would trade Gilgis Alexander for Barrett. So, I mean, that, doesn't really make sense as a swap, but I don't really think the Knicks have, like, the pieces to encourage Presti to um, part with. I, I What I would say is, I mean, clearly the most solid long-term piece they got for either Russell Westbrook or Chris Paul. Uh, excuse me, Russell Westbrook or Paul, or, or Paul George. All right, uh, I'm, I'm messing up names. I'm running out of words, so I think that's a good time to wrap this up. Again, we'll be back with Alex. Over the weekend, um, to continue talking Knicks basketball and finish off this mailbag, we got some really good questions coming up. Oh my god, wait. Hold the phone. I forgot one. Um, Starl Nat or um, at Starling Nathan, and this was a good question, and I can't believe I almost forgot it. Um, he wanted to know what can the Knicks offer for Bradley Beal? Knocks and picks, players to make salary work, dot dot dot. Um I think I think the Knicks would need to offer a little bit more. Um, you got to keep in mind, Bradley Beal, probably, like, I, I legitimately believe over the second half of the year. Like, he he was really, really a star. Like, I think he's pretty clearly one of the top 20 players in the NBA. I think he's on a trajectory to top out as somewhere between one of the 10 or 15 best guys in the league. Just a genuinely special offensive player, still just 26 years old. Um, I think the Knicks would have to give up a lot for him because there's going to be a really heavy market and there are going to be teams willing to trade premium proven talent. I, I think the best case scenario for the Knicks would be to trade and to take advantage of Washington's, I'd say, uh, less than excellent front office, um, Put Julius Randle in there as sort of, like, the big, like, obvious numbers guy, like, someone who I don't think is that good, I don't think necessarily contributes to winning in a long-term way, but is really young and, like, at least, like, replicates some of what Beal does statistically. Like, he, he's the classic bad team bait in my mind, which you hope the Wizards are under new management. Um, then I, I do think you'd have to throw in R.J. Barrett. I, I think you just you just need, you need that one premium piece when you're training for a star of Beal's caliber. Um... We saw it with the Anthony Davis trade. We saw it with the Paul George trade, which I know was functionally a trade for Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, but there's such a premium on star talent in the NBA, and you've heard this talked about on national podcasts time and time again, where it's kind of shifting where for a while first-round picks were maybe disproportionately valued, and now it's kind of going the other way, where star talent is, I would argue, appropriately valued because there's nothing like a sure thing. So I, I think the Knicks would have to give up R.J. Barrett, and then I would hope you could get away with just throwing in the two Dallas first-round picks and calling it a day. And I know some of you listening are saying that's ridiculous, that's way too much. Uh, I would argue that would be a steal for the Knicks or a player of Bradley Beal's caliber, especially if you feel like you can get him to resign. He's under contract for the 1920 season and then the 2021 season. If you think you can keep him for longer than that, you can convince him New York is the best place for him to play and win, um, then he makes a whole lot of sense. Uh the Knicks might have to put in Knox for one of the Dallas picks. And if if that was, if that was the trade, I honestly still wouldn't hesitate. Like if I'm building around a core of Beal, Robinson, Trier, Brazdakis, and whoever else emerges from the current Knicks roster, like I'm, I'm pretty content with that. I think that's a really, really good position to be in if I'm the New York Knicks. Okay. With that, we will wrap up this edition of Locked on Knicks. Again, we will be back with Alex. Um, answering a lot of questions in R.J. Barrett telling you what we think the rotation will look like um I answer I give some insight into my love of Jared Dudley kind of a defense of my love of Jared Dudley and uh we talk about our uh favorite Knicks team of all time outside of that 12-13 season uh that next time on Lockdown